tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Hello there. Two weeks is better late than never, I suppose. Finally, it's the October edition of Helping Behaviorally Challenging Students. Dr. Ross Green here, coming to you, as always, just two weeks late, live from the offices of Lives in the Balance here in Portland, Maine. Um, Well, I've got a good excuse I guess two weeks ago, Monday, I was at the annual conference of the North Carolina Association of School Psychologists speaking and helping people in North Carolina, school psychologists, know more about collaborative and proactive solutions. And then last Monday, I was speaking in uh, Sydney, Australia, helping uh, the good folks down under know more about the model as well. And, um, well, I hope those count as good excuses. Uh, If not, then I've got bad excuses. But we usually do this program the first Monday of every month, and um, my bad, it's now the third Monday of this month, but finally we are getting to it. And I know that we will not have uh, Tom on the line with us today, but I believe we have Carol on the line with us today. Carol, is this you? You are correct. It is me. A good guess. Me. (laughs) How are you? I am doing very well. Thank you for asking. Good. And we have... Is the strike over in British Columbia? I haven't been following the news. We've been in school for a full three weeks. Four weeks. Good for you. Good for you and good for the kids. Yes, absolutely. And we also have Nina on the phone with us today. Nina, how are you today? I'm great, thank you. I'm glad you both were able to adjust your schedules um, and uh, uh, join in on the program today. Um, Carol, what have those first three weeks been like? I know, I guess you heard that the strike is over in British Columbia, and that's got to be good for everybody. Are people happy with the outcome, or are there people who are not happy with the outcome? Uh, Well, there's always some of both. I think uh, it definitely wasn't a a, a 100% win for for the teachers, Um, but... I think definitely getting the kids back in school was what everybody wanted, and so we're moving forward. And what we noticed, though, and and I I guess we'll just kind of launch into talking about um, helping kids with challenging behaviors, was that it was it was there was actually a very high level of stress when um, when we came back in because our students who we know uh, do very you know we know that most people do well with routine and they appreciate structure. 
the extra time that they had been off um, had kind of thrown their whole systems out of whack. And so it was students and staff and parents that were highly stressed. And uh, my colleagues and I all across our district um, and I'm sure across the province noticed just uh, it was challenging um, in terms of helping everyone settle again. It was uh, it was really difficult. And uh, you suppose that it's the kids who you were talking about, who we talk about on this program, who had the hardest time of all. Is that how it panned out? I think so, because there's kind of a, a natural clock that kids get into and, and families of knowing that school should be starting. And without that, um, you know, grounding back with the caring adults who who take care of them at schools and lots of the other social supports that our schools provide, for from food to connection to social workers and health care and those kind of things. Um, yeah, there was there was definitely a, diff- a more difficult time reconnecting and re- rebuilding some of those relationships because even with our teachers who are the ones that are in the front lines that are working with our challenging students and, and doing the work, because their own stress levels were very high, it was harder to you know, bring themselves mindfully back into being able to put aside you know, their stress and what they're dealing with in terms of, you know, we had teachers that lost a huge amount of pay over the whole strike and, you know, to be able to actually refocus on, you know, I need to build these relationships with these students, I need to reconnect, we need to get back in that mode of of listening, of um, putting putting the students' voice in there. It was, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting, but it's, I feel like after a month now, um, everyone's exhaled a little bit, mm-hmm. and we're coming back to where we were. Good. Good. Nina, how's it going in your building? You've been at it for more than three months, obviously, but anything to report? Uh, we've just had such a nice start to school, and, um, you know, our year two of our learning center, our problem-solving room, which I just has been so effective, and we were just reflecting my my. The former principal was here today helping out a little bit, and she just was remarking how such a such a feel in the building and watching kids that came to us you know four or five years ago and how successful they are and just attributing that to all the work we've been doing with problem solving and um, being proactive and really listening to the students and really it takes time in the beginning and right now we're just we're seeing them transform, and, and she just mentioned how you're taking that, taking some time not to be here, and then coming back and actually seeing it in action just makes her even realize, you know, much more how how transformative our school really really has been. So it's it's nice to see an outside perspective and see that change and difference. We've got to bottle what you're doing there, but we've got to bottle what Carol's doing too. Um, You've been at your school for a while. In Carroll's school system, they have a tendency to move people around, which, um, uh, quite frankly, has hard. always fascinated me, but we won't comment on that during today's program. <laughs> well, on, um, on the plus side, you can take that person, like Susan or myself, who are passionate about the work, and, and by transplanting us somewhere else, you kind of spread the seeds farther and wider. Around. But it is hard to get like a really deep practice going in the school when you're moving. Yep. That's the that's the plus side and the downside. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I got a few emails to read. Y'all, we don't uh, we don't have anybody calling in yet, but here we go. Are you ready? You bet. Yes. Um, and I, this this is this first one is just very nice. We we can comment on it, but then we've got some ones that are asking for our input. Ready? Here's the first. Dr. Green, I admire the work you're doing, but in my area, no one is listening to your message. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, my nine-year-old nephew wouldn't get out of his mom's car to go to school. He was moved to this new school a couple of weeks ago because of his behavioral challenges at another school in the district. When he wouldn't get out of the car, the school personnel called the police, and the police escorted his mother's car to the emergency room at a local hospital. At the emergency room, not surprising to me, he told the doctor he wanted to hurt himself, so he was put in a psych ward. He is smart, funny, kind little boy whose problem lies with his parents, who are divorced and high conflict. He's been in therapy since he was three, takes medication, and he still struggles. I, of course, have no rights as his aunt, although I have been with him his whole life and have been a major part of his growing up. I think he's doing so much better in general, but I think school in particular fails him. Hmm. I just had to say how incredibly important your work is. I'm just one small person, and I know you have many important connections, but it means the world to me that somebody gets who these kids are. I have both your books and follow your website. Thank you so very much. Now, that's a very nice email for her thanking me, but a very... um, Sad tale. Mm. Um, Nina, you've had kids in your school. I know that I know one of them is going to be featured in Mother Jones magazine in its next issue. Yes, I know. I can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait either. So Nina's (laughs) school will be one of the um lead stories in the next edition of Mother Jones magazine. I've been told that it's the November issue, but I am not positive about that, but that's what yeah. we think. Um as yeah. you think and Carol, we're gonna want to hear from you too, but I, I know that Nina has at least one kid who could have had the police called on him if mm-hmm. that's the way things were done in your building. Um, here we have a kid who had the police called because he wouldn't, and, and we're going to take the aunt's word for it. Maybe the folks at the school would say that the story is more complicated than that, but we're just going to take yep. this message at face value and assume that the kid wouldn't get out of the car. The police got called. The mom and the police escorted the kid to the emergency room. At the emergency room, the kid said he wanted to hurt himself, and he gets put in a psych ward for three days. I just thought that it was a very interesting email and one that we could contrast with some kids in your building who were probably capable of the same thing at one point or another. Let's let's mm-hmm. just contrast that and what you all did that was different than what happened here. Definitely. Well, I think the the first thing that we did was form a relationship with with the parent as well as the child and you know to take a very big step back and realize that solving the problem could never happen in the moment. Um, so that would be the first thing is right when when the problem is that he won't get out of the car, it's not the time to figure out what what's the lagging skills and what's the unsolved problem. It's the time to 
you know, do a, do a plan C where you say we'll we'll start this again or we'll we'll sit down and talk about what's going on, why what's the, you know, what's going on here? What's what's the child thinking? Uh what's the parent thinking? And those relationships are just so key and I you know, I feel like when I reflect on some of our situations that we've really saved the family by listening and listening to the parents and realizing that you know, nobody wants to be in a situation where their child doesn't want to come to school or the parent's feeling like a failure, the child's feeling like a failure, and the school's feeling like, like a failure, and in desperation calling the police seems like the only option. So I think taking the time to reflect and the relationships is really the first the first part. Because once you feel like it's an emergency, then you really can't make any good decisions. So being gentle with yourself about that as well and realizing you don't have to solve it right that second. You, This is a bigger problem to solve. A very good point that the unsolved problems, which frequently seem extremely urgent, mm-hmm. aren't as urgent as they frequently seem. Um, we've got We've got more time than we think. Yep. But another very good point is that if that problem's going to get solved and if that kid's going to talk to us about it, um, sending him to the ER with the police escort is unlikely to move that ball forward. Absolutely. I, I, I guess I'm paraphrasing your points, but um, I think I've got the first one on pretty safe ground. Um do, do you establish a relationship with that kid right at the moment that he's refusing to get out of the car? Is it too late? What's your take on that? Well, I don't think it's too late at all, and I think that even what you using empathy and kindness in that moment will build the stage for building a, a more genuine relationship later and throughout. So just how you react to that and you know calling the police is going to put a big damper in the relationship and and you're going to have to make some amends and make some changes to to have a trusting relationship. You know, I can think of a situation where when I've done something that I think, "Oh, that's not that wasn't the time to try to push or this wasn't the time to you know, to try this out." And then, you know, something that I tend to do is go back and apologize and say, "Listen, that wasn't, you know, that wasn't what the outcome I wanted either. I didn't want that to happen, so let's let's, let's try something different. Yeah, there's never anything wrong with asking for a do-over, and I think what it does mm-hmm. is it models it models forgiveness. Absolutely, <laughs> you know, and it models the fact that we're all just human beings, and we are all somewhere on that spectrum of looking bad from time to time. Yep, and that transparency with the child to say, "Oh, this is what I was thinking. This is what I was trying to do, and goodness, that really didn't work. Let's that didn't work. Let's, let's try do it something else." <laughs> yep. Yeah. Now you both are being very kind um, uh, about what went on in this scenario, and I I agree. Everybody gets to have a do-over, um, but. To, to do the do-over, you've got to get the ball rolling. Otherwise, it's just one do-over after another. Right. Um, well, you have the definition of learning, right? You make a mistake, and then you, you figure out what happened, and you change it so that you don't repeat the same thing. But you you need to have that alternative 
action. Well, you, ha- you need to, yeah. right, and you need to have a different lens of why the student's not getting out of the car because I think that that happens way too often of just trying to control the situation instead of you know looking deeper. So it's you so can have fun. a do over, but if you don't change your lens, then you can't. It's not. Good. You have to do both. Yeah. So and I, I guess all I'm in, saying is. We're going to keep doing do-overs until we change our lenses. Yeah, um, exactly. It's just going to be one do-over after another yeah. until we... Well, I think, about, I think about the videos that are on your website, Ross. I mean, you demonstrate that, you know, sometimes when people are learning to use Plan B conversations, that they don't do it right the first time, and they may slip back into Plan A, or they may skip a, a step. And, you know, you're showing that you, you may not do it right, and you may slip back into your old patterns, but eventually with practice and with being aware and being reflective that you'll get it. What I'm concerned about is that this aunt um, feels like there isn't a window to provide the other lens to the people in this school. Right. And yeah. I guess what she's looking for is how do I crack that window open? How do I get someone to listen to me that there needs to be a, a different way? I mean, yeah. we know that you yeah. offer the, the care kits, you know, the... The mystery care kits packages. that you can send packages that yeah. you can send to people, but whether mm-hmm. they actually crack the book open, there has to be a bit of a willingness to see like this isn't working, and that's where I came to the model was when I became a vice principal, and I just felt like this just for me it's just not working. I was you know a lot of my responsibilities after lunch was doing all the discipline from all the stuff that ha- happened on the soccer field, and it was the same kids getting sent in every day and I was giving them consequences and more consequences and nothing was working and I thought there has to be a better way. So that's how I came to to your program because I've, I've, I hit that wall of futility and I realized yeah. that it just was, no matter how many consequences I kept giving to, giving to these kids, nothing was going to change. I needed to change and I needed to change how I was doing business. So and until the people involved with this kid get that sense of, this is just not working. And it seems like they're in a mindset of this kid's broken. This kid needs right. fixing. He's on medication. He needs a doctor. Um, I don't know. How do you how do you turn the mirror around so that people can see, like, let's look at what we're doing, too. You could shame well, them on the website. I'm always, <laughs> right. I'm always going back to the, um, to the author, Ken Wilbur, who described – Conscious incompetence and unconscious incompetence. There you go. Uh, Not that I like his terminology, but when we are stuck in Mm -hmm. conscious incompetence, then um, we continue justifying the things we're doing in some way, but that keeps us from saying to ourselves, what could I have done differently? Conscious incompetence, and once again, I don't love the phraseology, but conscious incompetence is where we're saying, I know that I'm doing the wrong thing, Carol, just as you were describing. I'm not exactly sure what to do instead, but at least I've come to the awareness that what I am doing isn't working. And, um, boy, that's a much, you know, I'll take all comers, but um, a lot of the people who find... Well, the truth is Lost at School and the website have helped people move from conscious, uh, unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence. But, um, well, anyways, 
Shall we, shall we do a different email? We've got a bunch in line here, by the way. Sure. Are you ready? Sure. All right, here's yep. another. I, I think this is a good one. I'm working on implementing the ALSIP, and this is the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems, which is the assessment instrument that we use in this model to identify lagging skills and unsolved problems. So here we go. I am working on implementing the ALSIP in my severely emotionally disturbed classroom. My goal slash job is to help students limit their negative behaviors, angry outbursts, disobedience, noncompliance, etc., and develop positive behaviors so they can be successful in the regular education classroom. I want to work the Plan B process into my behavioral intervention plans, but the LSUP does not list the negative behaviors that I observe in the classroom. So how do I incorporate the LSUP into my classroom? Um, I'm, I've got some things to say about that one, but on this program, I like to give you all the first crack. <laughs> who wants who wants first dibs on that one? Carol, we let Nina go first last time. You want to take that? <laughs> one? Oh. <laughs> oh, usually this is where Tom jumps in. Where's Tom today? He usually Tom. gives me a chance to think before I answer. He, he, yeah, he was Tom's not able down. to uh, accommodate the schedule change. But but going oh. if, if, neither, if neither of you wants to, believe me, I would be delighted to join in on that one. But well, why ahead. don't you start, and we'll throw in our five cents after. All right. Nina, you good with that? <laughs> I'm great with that. All right. This um, teacher is focused on behavior. The assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems is not focused on behavior. Mm-hmm. Right. It's focused skills on lagging problem. skills and unsolved problems. And so, so long as we are focused on directly looking at negative behaviors, angry outbursts, disobedience, noncompliance, etc., mm-hmm. and so long as we are solely focused on modeling and incentivizing positive behaviors, then the ALSIP is not going to be helpful to us because it is not focused on negative behaviors and it is not focused on positive behaviors. And a lot of the intervention that goes on in schools these days, if if somebody asked me to point out the aspect of a lot of what goes on in schools these days aimed at helping behaviorally challenging kids, it's that we're focused on their behaviors and not the problems that are giving rise to those behaviors. Mm-hmm. Good answer, um, Ross. Well, yeah, but they're not using the, using the LSEP and guiding your discussion, the behavior, the all of the lagging skills. I guess that's what I was thinking because I've never had an LSEP discussion where where something doesn't fit the child even you know the most challenging the lagging skills that are listed right. always always discri- it's always know, something or, yes yeah. absolutely but this is the problem in most schools these days i i mean i hate to say it but in most schools in my experience and it might not be most but i don't know all schools but in the most of the schools that i encounter in my experience they are focused on behavior not the problems giving rise to those behaviors True. And if we you are only focused on the behaviors, then all you're focused is on changing negative behaviors and eliciting replacement behaviors. Mm-hmm. In this model, and the whole purpose of the ALSA is to help us, first of all, get the right lenses on, lagging skills, 
and secondly, help us get focused on what we're going to be working on, unsolved problems. And so that's why there are no negative behaviors in the LSIP. It's not what you're focused right. on in this model. The, this model says if you solve the problems that are giving rise to those behaviors, the negative behaviors will subside. But if right. all right. we're focused on is behavior, the unsolved problems will remain. I have nothing else to say about that one, so now I'm going to shut up and let you okay. guys say what you want to say. Go ahead. Well, the assumption that, so, and I was having this discussion with my husband the other night because he's an educational assistant and he works with kids with FASD and autism and all kinds of, that give rise to all kinds of challenging behaviors. And um, and he was saying something that a teacher had said to a, a a student something about, you know, making better choices. And I said, oh, it drives me crazy when I hear people say <laughs> that kids can make better choices because nine times out of ten, it wasn't a choice. It was a reaction. It was an impulse. It was the best option the child had at that moment. It wasn't really, hmm, should I, you know, punch that kid in the face because he just dissed my mom or should I talk right. to him about it? Uh, eeny, meeny. Right, it's not a choice. Right. It's the demand, as as Ross would say, and in the book, that the demands of the situation outstrip that child's ability to to meet that demand in that moment. So all of a sudden he went, "Oh my goodness, what what language have I been using with the students that I work with?" And <laughs> and you know, at there are definitely some types of things that that we encounter. For example, you know, if a student um, decides to use their cell phone during class to call someone and and have a conversation in the middle of class. I don't see that being really an unsolved problem necessarily. It's more just, I don't know. To me, that's more of a bad decision. Like, should I call them now? Should I call them later? Oh, yeah, I'll do it now. The teacher right. won't notice. But we're not talking about those kind of behaviors. So um, it seems to me, I've totally gotten myself distracted here, that we need to just change the change our language around. You know, this teacher seems like she's somewhat taking some of this behavior personally as well. So just it's kind of you have to step, step back. Okay, it's a he. To st- take a step back and, you know, have that more objective lens. Like what, what are these really specific demands that I'm putting on the students, and why are they not able to meet those demands? And then start unpicking it from there. Yeah, and I think if he sounds like he's really interested interested in. Um, Starting Plan B conversations and using the LSEP as a guide, and also if it's if it was just a checklist of, you know, is rude, is leaves class, <laughs> you're never going to get to the underlying um, lagging skills, and it's 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 not going to help with any Plan B conversations. You're just going to have a list of all those negative things they do. Where if you use the LSEP as a guide and use it, the tool as it's intended, it really will lead you right to the unsolved problems and even leaving the meeting with how to open up the Plan B conversation. So it's just such a helpful process, and it wouldn't it wouldn't be useful. Everybody knows what the challenging behaviors are. You could do that in two seconds, um, but the you have to go deeper. It's not just a description. It's that deeper, right. the deeper reasons. The discussion, yeah. Right. So I've got... I've- I've got another one to read to you that I think um, is, is actually relevant to this discussion. Here's an email that I received from an um, educator in Alberta, and here's what it says. I was skeptical at first, 
being of the old-school behaviorist variety and a disciple of Dr. George Shigai's PBS model, which teaches that the FDA is the key to understanding challenging behavior, I thought your approach mamby-pamby at best. It's, it's time oh, to eat crow. It's been a while since I heard that. Oh, that's great. Here's, here's, here's the next good line. Okay. It's time to eat crow. By viewing my students' behaviors through the lenses of lagging skills and unsolved problems, I have deepened my relationship with him, turning me into more than some authority figurehead who imposes sanctions and consequences but doesn't really understand him. I am now his problem-solving partner. How gratifying, exclamation point. It is still a work in progress to be sure, but I feel tremendously liberated, and my student has gotten to the point where, instead of exploding, he's able to come to me and ask if we can step out of the room to talk. I am forever grateful for Lost at School. What a contrast in perspectives. That's amazing. Um, Those are the ones that... uh, make it all worthwhile. But um, back to the theme that I often feel like I say too much, but here it is again. I've said it once, but it's worth repeating. Um, you can focus on behaviors till the cows come home. The problems that are giving rise to those behaviors will remain. But if you're focused on the problems that are giving rise to those behaviors, not only will the problems get solved, the behaviors will subside. Mm-hmm. I'll stick to that till my dying Absolutely. day. <laughs> well, you know, and what I think is interesting, Ross, is that there's. I think you, you know, you were talking about how many schools that you you hear about and see, and visit where Plan A is still the norm, and the lens of of skills and unsolved problems is not taken root. But I think that there is a huge, I think, you know, we see the schools that are, you know, we could call them CPS schools or whatever, that are like the tip of the iceberg. I think that there's a huge um, understanding of the concept or a feeling that, that people know that we need to listen to kids and we need to ask them what's going on for them, but they, they haven't been introduced to the process of the ALSEP and the Plan B conversations and I think that there is a huge um, population of schools that are ripe for that. They just need to hear about it. And so programs like this, sharing it on social media, having your workshops around the world, I think um, you know, I think we're going to get there, but I, I think that there's much more readiness mm-hmm. for the model that I maybe I'm just really I'm a Pollyanna kind of person, but I'd like to think that there's fewer of those strict planning schools um, than there used to be. Mm-hmm. I um I really hope you're right. <laughs> Got to spread I, the I word. I think so too. Spread the word. And those real you life so stories, too, like that that well that email, just think. You know, from the the success stories, I think are what it, are, drives the change. People, that's what people are looking for is success stories. Kids that are able to be in school and and learn and be with their friends and grow. So I think that is that message is powerful. And when you see success like that, you know that you're on the right track. 
But I think Good. so. I think people. I think people are trying to listen to kids and, you know, concerned about, when more concerned about mental health than when you when you, are looking at through that lens too. You are thinking more empathetic and more listening and more that counseling, lend you know, leaning towards the counseling end of things instead of the punishment and consequence end. Mm-hmm. Shall we do another? Sure. Here's another. I love that discussion. Um, I am not allergic to the reward and punishment model. I am just more convinced than I've ever been that focusing on behavior instead of the problems that are giving rise to those behavior is the wrong turn we take so often. And I know that that statement goes against a lot of people's training, and it actually goes against, as many people know, the way I was trained. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's a good reason that I moved on from the way I was trained. And the way one was trained is not a religion. Even when one is religious, one has the option of moving on to something that makes more sense to them as time goes on. Here's Mm -hmm. another email. Um, And uh, we have a few like this. I'm just going to read one of them. Um, in, t- in kindergarten, it is hard for a child to verbalize what is wrong. The why question is hard. Sometimes they sit silently or say, I don't know, or because I wanted to. How do I have conversations and drill when the child I am talking with cannot reflect on the why of his or her behavior? Uh, And once again, while I am likely to have plenty to say about that one, I want to give you both first dibs. Carol, do you want that one or not necessarily? I'll take that one. They need the cheat sheet. I had a guest. She wasn't even kindergarten. She was grade five, and she was the queen of sitting there silently. And I remember the first time that I sat down with her to do a Plan B conversation. Didn't know her very well. She was new to the school. Um, You know, and I told her, we have as much time as it, as you need, you know. I you're more important than anything else right now. I really care about what you have to say, so when you're ready. Oh my goodness, it was a good hour and a half. <laughs> and I thought, what did I get myself into here because I promised her that nothing else was more important than <laughs> her at that time. Mm-hmm. So she was willing to put me to the test and what we ended up doing was um she actually wrote down a sentence first. She didn't want to say it out loud. And so we ended up, I mean, it sounds silly, but we were sitting there side by side writing notes back and forth to each other. Mm-hmm. And that's when it all started to come out. But the um, the plan B cheat sheet, man, is the best thing. And asking why is a very, um, oh, it's a very abstract kind of question. Like, I don't know yeah. why I do a lot of the things I do. But you can ask <laughs> concrete questions like what happened just before that or tell me a bit more about that or, um, you know, who else do you have this problem with? Or like more concrete questions. But I have that plan B cheat sheet on the back of my binder that I keep all my plans in. And uh, I sit there with it, you know, just kind of facing me where the kids can't see it. And sometimes I just go, I'm going to think about that for a minute. And I just look down and <laughs> yeah. get myself a little tip. Absolutely. I would totally agree. I carry, I have the cheat sheet everywhere and the, and the teachers do as well. And asking why, you know, is is definitely too big of a question, and um, if it was that simple, then it wouldn't we wouldn't need you know all these the problem solving sessions. They just they don't 
why is too much and the cheat sheet really helps get around and stay away from the why and try and allows you to dig deeper for sure so i would completely agree believe it or not i have nothing else to say about that wow we're good can you imagine <laughs> nailed it yeah y'all are great um you nailed it um <laughs> Not that I only think you nailed it because you said what I would have said. I just think you nailed it. <laughs> but isn't it interesting? I guess I do have something to say. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> a lot of people attribute a kid having difficulty talking to characteristics of the kid. Yep. Um, this and while there are five-year-olds who have difficulty talking, there are also 17-year-olds who have difficulty talking. Um, and so seldom, and there's there's no reason that a five-year-old who has intact language processing and communication skills cannot provide us with some information about what's getting in the way or their concern or their perspective or their point of view on a given unsolved problem, that, that that's five is not as low as you can go. Sometimes people want to know how low can you go, and of course my answer is you collaborate with infants, but in terms of the linguistic give and take that is involved in doing plan B, um, the lowest you can go is the point at which the kid is able to engage in that linguistic give and take, and that's you know two and a half, three years old. So that's how low you can go when it comes to linguistic give and take, but you start collaborating with a kid the minute the kid pops out. But um, there's lots of things. When, when people ask me what percentage of the time that a kid won't talk, does it have more to do with us than it does with them? They're not always happy with my answer, but my answer is 70 to 80% of the time that a kid is having difficulty talking, it has more to do with us than it does with them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to try to squeeze in one more question here. Shall we try? Okay. Yep. Got eight sure. I, also, I, I also think, Please, don't you think, ahead. too, that sometimes sometimes when I'm realizing someone's not talking, it's because I'm not being proactive and I'm doing emergency plan in the moment, and then I have to remember that you know, that to schedule the time to have a productive, proactive plan B. I think that's some, one, one of my uh, you know, red flags for me, though. This is, I'm definitely doing emergency plan here, and this is, I have to reschedule this for a proactive time. Good Great point. point. Great point. Here's one more. Hello, I really like your approach. I have just been hired as one of two school counselors at a kindergarten center housing 530 students. Wow. I'm just going to I'm going to pause there for you guys. Can just Wow. Look at that right now. Wait, 500 wow. kindergartners. 500 kindergarten students. Okay. Uh, oh, my. I knew, I knew that that, would, that alone would uh, get something. All right, so I'll keep going. <laughs> we have 28 classrooms and an average of, and I, would you going to do the math here? We have 28 classrooms and an average of two disruptive, challenging students in each class. Yeah. Two times 28 is 56. All right. Maybe those numbers wow. are not so terrible, but still tough. And by the way, if they only have two disruptive, challenging students in each class, they're doing well. Yeah. I would like to I would like to implement your method, but I am having trouble getting from beginning getting uh, their pers beginning kindergarten students to give their perspective on the problem. 
many have language deficits or are just not used to conversing with adults. Many times, even with waiting, they can't seem to tell me their perspective on the problem behavior. I just thought I would do a little pause there. Tell me their perspective (laughs) on the problem behavior. Please let me know how to handle this dilemma. And I'm I'm going to let you all you, you did you did so incredibly well on the last one. Let's let's have you do this one first too. And I might not have anything to say by the time you're done. Go ahead. Oh, well, I think some of it we covered in, in the first one about yeah, you know, as well, just making sure that you're not not that you're not being emergency plan B and um that you're making a proactive time and not focusing on behavior at you if you sit down with somebody and say so tell me about how rude you're being or you know tell me about how you're if you're focusing on behavior it's going to start right away with a negative conversation and the child's not going to open up but that trust and that you know that empathy and neutral invitation just needs to happen in order to have a proactive conversation and and not focusing on behavior because even five-year-olds, they, if they think they're in trouble, if they they think they're talking about their behavior, they're they're going to shut down. Yeah, and I would I would kind of carry on from that and and um, you know suggest that there be some prioritization that's happening. Because if you're looking at, I'm going to be doing this with all 56 of these kids, that can be a little bit overwhelming to look at. Um, so I would definitely be be talking with the staff and trying to find a way to prioritize and and just choosing, you know, a few that you're going to to start working with, especially if you're new to the model. Um, trying to kind of jump in the deep end right mm-hmm. off the bat can be a bit discouraging because you can feel like, you know, which student am I talking to today and what was their problem and what skills are we working on and yes. Um, and so, you know, you do need to take time to sit down with the teacher and or with the parents as, as appropriate and, and do the ALSEP rather than just jumping into doing the conversations. I think I remember last, I think, September's meeting, uh, Susan brought back to her, my attention, and too, actually, that, you know, if you jump into the conversations and you haven't really gone into the ALSEP first, um, there's you're kind of putting the cart before the horse. So you've got to prioritize some kids sit down, take the time, do the ALSEP, and then start to prioritize the unsolved problems or lagging skills, and then start there. And that way, I think they'll feel more successful, and they'll perhaps be able to focus in, you know, on on a specific rather than, you know, maybe they've got too much clumping going on, Tom's favorite word, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> where they're just saying, you know, tell me why you can't, tell me why you can't listen to the teacher, right? right. You're not going to get a lot out of the child that way. Right, and I just keep imagining with that many kindergartners, just as you're saying, definitely a systems a system that you'd have and some professional development for the the teachers as well, so that everybody collaborates to make a plan with how are we going to implement this in our school with this many kids and you know I think that's something that we definitely learned that if if we don't have a set sort of system of who goes where, where do when do we do the LSEP, when do we meet, when can a teacher do this then then it, it can have a hard time taking off. So professional development, too, would be really important and just time as a staff to reflect and talk. And, you know, if every if people are feeling overwhelmed, then it's really important to bring teachers all together and staff all together and to check in with each other. 
Yeah, there needs to be that team approach. It can't just be the counselor kind of going solo. No, no, because it's just the, the teachers counselors and the counselor and the administration all need to know what they're doing and how they can, you know, what role each of them plays. In, Definitely. In working through this model, yeah. Because then I could, you know, the counselors will be running around putting out fires and it doesn't get deeper. Right. Guys are all over. How'd we do on that one? Um, amazing. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Not that I'm the judge and jury here, but... Um, uh, We're feeling uh, like there's a little pressure I, I, today, just the two of us. I know. <laughs> yeah, without... Yeah, well, um, that's okay. It's bringing out the best in you, I should say. Oh, good. <laughs> um, I only have one more point to add, and you all have kind of made it. If you're talking with a kid about hitting, for example, then you're talking with him about the 27 different unsolved problems that he responds to with hitting. And you greatly increase the likelihood of I don't know because um, hitting is merely what ties those unsolved problems together behaviorally. But it doesn't help us gather more information about any of the unsolved problems. But I love your point that it's not uncommon for classroom teachers to say to a school counselor or a school psychologist, hey, I got a, I got a kid I want you to fix. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's not the way it works. The way it works no. is for the school counselor to help those people get good at solving problems with kids. But the school counselor yeah. has to be focused on problems first. Otherwise, everybody in the building is going to remain focused on behavior. Yeah, right. my counselor I'm now. Sorry my to, counselor calls it. Oh, sorry. <laughs> go ahead. No. My counselor now calls every session she has with kids problem-solving sessions. They and even the kid. That's Perfection. the language the kids all use. It's really great. Nice. Perfection. And I'm I sorry to report. Whenever they come to my office, they call it problem-solving space. Oh, that's awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> we are done for the day. That went fast. And we are, not on, we are not on for the first Monday of November either, but I will right. post on the website and get in touch with you both about what we've uh, about other potential alternative dates. But thank okay. you so much for doing this today and being flexible on your schedules. And then I think we're good to go for the rest of the year on the first Monday of every month. Thank you Great. both. I think it was a wonderful program. I think we covered some excellent territory. It was very invigorating. Thank you. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Until next time. Thanks, as always. Bye. Bye. Take care. <laughs>